Hey, if you're here for the first time today, then you are here um, on the tail end of a series that we've called, that we've done called Shift. Um, let me just explain to you quickly what Shift is. Shift is, uh, we've been in Luke 19 and 20, and it's just, we have just sensed that the, like, something is just changing, like, in our church and in us, um, in our city, and, and as I've I've listened to pastors in other cities talk. It's, it's not just here. It's, it's all over the place. So we're like, putting your ear to the ground like, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And so he has shown us these seven specific ways that he wants to shift how we see things. And here's the overarching theme. This is really important, right? This is really important. The overarching theme has been when we think shift, what we think is, oh, look at different things. But what we have felt like the Lord said is, no, don't look at, thing, don't look at different things. Look at things differently, right? So we've just kind of taken these topics that have been in these two chapters, and we've talked about the way that the Lord just kind of, just a little bit of a shift, and then we suddenly go, oh, we see it differently, like a paradigm shift, right? Like when you're looking at a situation, and then you learn something about it, and you see it totally different, right? That's kind of what we've been talking about, and that's important because today, the last shift is about money, giving, and now, look, if you're like most people, you hear a pastor say money or giving, and you reach back and grab your wallet and hold it tight, right? Or you clutch, like, you get your phone near you, ain't nobody texting nothing off my phone. Like, we, if you have that reaction, here's what I want you to know. First of all, that's kind of normal, right? Most, most of us that have been in church long enough, we're used to preachers like, beating us up to make us give, right? So what I'm praying first and foremost is that that would shift for you today, okay? That what we're going to look at in these passages, it would just shift the way that you even see giving and generosity, right? And, and, and if that's, if you're here and you honestly say to God, okay, like I'm a little bit, eh, this dude's got a microphone, he's going to talk about money, I'm a little nervous, then God will work in your heart as we go through this last shift. We've got a lot to cover. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to read the last part of Luke 20, the first part of Luke 21, and I've got, here's my goal, to get through talking about two mites, three words, a shift, and a number, okay? So that's kind of the basic strategy for where we're going to go. Two mites, that's M-I-T-E-S, three, three words, one shift, and one number. It sounds like a lot, probably is, but I'll talk fast, okay? Are we good? All right, let's read this, Luke chapter 20. Uh, starting in verse 41, it, I'm in the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. Here we go. Then Jesus presented them with a question. Now let me just quickly give you context. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that in all of chapter 20, people have been questioning Jesus, right? They've been asking him questions about his authority. I said this um, in the series. You've heard people say there are no stupid questions, but it's not true, right? There are stupid questions, and we've read a couple of them in this chapter, okay? So when they asked all the questions, Jesus answered them in such a way that shut them up. Don't you love to do that? Like, had the right answer, and then people are like, uh, I don't even know what to do with that, right? Just that's what Jesus did. So now he's flipping the table, right? He's turning the table on them, and now he's asking them a question, why is it, he asked, that the Messiah is said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. If you've ever been in class and you're really tired and the teacher keeps talking but you can't process anything they're saying, that's probably what they felt at this point, right? Maybe you feel that way too. You're just like, uh, could you read that again? I don't even get it. Since David called the Messiah Lord, 
How can the Messiah be his son? Can't you just see these religious leaders looking at each other like, are we supposed to have an answer for that? I don't even know. I don't understand the question. And as all that's happening, as they're processing all of that, then when the crowd's listening, he turned to his disciples and he began to teach. And here's what he says in verse 46. Beware of these teachers of religious law. If nothing else, do you see the boldness of Jesus? He has just had a whole chapter talking to these religious leaders. I'm sure he's ticked them off, right? So they're red-faced. And now he's asking them a question, and they don't have an answer for that. And then he turns to his disciples, and people are leaning in to listen. And he says, hey, listen, don't, don't just beware of teachers, but beware of these teachers. Like he's pointing them out. He's calling them out. He's got, a, I mean, Jesus, he goes there, right? It's crazy. Like we dance around on stuff, but he just goes there. I love that about Jesus. Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes. Not the best garment choice. I get it, Right? This is like dudes wearing rompers. What in the world, right? For they like to parade around in flowing robes. I just cracked myself up. Y'all don't ever laugh, but I just love it. Anyway. And they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet, they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. While Jesus was in the temple, chapter 21, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Now, the New Living Translation almost makes it sound like it might have taken place at a different time. But if you've got the NIV, it wraps it up like this. He delivers this, like, scathing remarks about the religious leaders. And then it says, and then he looks up and sees what's taking place now. So this is all happening at the same time. He just talked about how they are cheating widows, and he looks up and he notices rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. And then a poor widow came by, a widow, and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them, not of any one of them, but all of them combined. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything else, everything she has. Father, in your name, Jesus, right now, I'm just asking you, help me, God, to communicate clearly what you put in my heart. I'm praying for all of us in the room that we would hear your truth clearly. And I am asking, Lord, for your kingdom, that you would shift our hearts in the area of generosity. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so two mites, three words, a shift, and a number. Let's start with two mites, okay? So this woman, this widow, gave this, this, the greatest offering that I believe was ever given, two mites. But it was also the smallest offering ever given. And I need to make sure that you understand how small it is. Okay? So two mites. How small is two mites? We don't have mites in our currency. But if we had mites in our currency, they would be worth two mites together combined would have the total worth of one quarter of one cent. Okay? Now, we can't even grasp that. Like, take a penny, get out. Well, I, this is actually a true story. Don't do this, kids. Um, but when I was in middle school, I used to take pennies and whittle them down to the size of dimes because you could put them in the vending machine and they would work. Don't do that. That's cheating. Isn't that, it's robbery. I've repented of that, right? And it takes, by the way, way too long. It's not worth the time. Just don't look at me like that. Don't, you're judging me right now. I can feel it. What's happening to you? The point here is, 
It took a long time to whittle that thing down to the size of a dime. Can you imagine, like, trying to cut pennies into quarters? And if you could cut a penny in four pieces and pull one piece out, that's what two mites were worth. Okay? You with me? No, you're not with me. Okay, so we got some work to do. I want to make sure that you understand how small her offering was because it's not about the amount. Something else is deeper than that, okay? So let's just take this widow as an example. I don't know when you give. Some people give first of the month. Some people give last of the month. Some people give never. I don't know when you give, but let's just say that this widow gave more consistently than anybody else on the planet, and every single Sunday she gave the exact same offering. You with me? So every Sunday she comes to church, every Sunday she drops in two mites. It would take her four weeks of giving to give a penny. You're still not getting how small this is. After an entire year of being the most consistent giver, never missing a Sunday, the church that she donates that to would then give her a contribution statement for the year saying that she had contributed, who can do the math? 13 cents. 13 cents in a year. Now, have some fun later today. Go home, be a pastor for a day, and Google average giving per church member per year. Okay? Pastors do this stuff all the time. What is wrong with us, right? And so we do this. We, and then so, so people do studies. And they, like, ask, like, they take the number of people that go to church in America, and they divide it by, like, they divide the number, how much money is given by that number, and they come up with, like, an average per year per person. And you'll find all kinds of numbers. They'll range from, like, $850 all the way up to, like, $1,500 a year, right? Not one time. So let's just, let's just take $1,000. Let's just say... If you could take all the people in America that go to church today, and that number for the whole year, all the money that we give in a year, divide those numbers together, poof, out comes $1,000. The average person in America gives $1,000 a year to the church. Now you're the widow. Okay? You're right. I, want to, I want to make sure you get how small this, this offering was. If she came every single Sunday and gave the same offering of two mites every single Sunday, it would only take her 7,692 years to give what the average churchgoer gives in one. This is a small offering, okay, that caught Jesus' attention. So something else is going on besides just the size of the offering. It was small in amount, but it was not small in impact. And here's why. Because it was everything she had to give. And verse 4, it says, For she had, they gave a, a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. If you've got the NIV, you'll see uh, this expression, all she had to live on. The Greek word, the Greek phrase literally means all the life. Here's what it implies. Her giving was so generous it could impede her very survival. Warren Wiersbe, he has this quote. He says this, when it comes to our giving, God sees more than the portion. He also sees proportion. Man sees what is given, but God sees what is left. Did you hear that? Man sees what is given. God sees what is left. And by that, he measures the gift and the condition of our hearts. In other words, here's what this means. Most of us, most of us give God our leftovers. This woman gave God the entire meal. Everything she had, she gave. 
Why would she do that? Why would a widow give him everything that she had? That leads us to the three words. Here's the three words that I want you to remember. As we've been fasting, as we've been going through this 50 days to fire, um, God put these three words on my heart about a week and a half in. If you've been to any of the prayer and presence on Tuesday nights, you've already seen these three words, okay? So this is, this is um, I have awful handwriting. Who else in the house has chicken scratch? I'm a little bit embarrassed to put my journal entries up here, but then I realized you can't even read them, so who cares, right? Um, these are the three words that the Lord gave me about 10 days into the fast is decrease, increase, and release, okay? And I just want to share where this fits into this woman, um, decrease, increase, and release. So as we talk through each of these, we're going to be in a chapter in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9. I want you to jot down 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We don't have time to read both of those chapters Man, if you want your heart to be stirred in the area of grace and of giving, these are your chapters. I would strongly encourage this week that you would study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But what we'll see in 2 Corinthians 9 is that these three words, they form a cycle. A cycle that God wants us to be a part of, okay? So let's just go one word at a time. Let's talk about the first word. It's decrease. There is something that happens when we decrease. And while we don't specifically know what happened with this widow, we do know that God blesses people who give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Just check this out about decrease. Remember this, Paul writes, a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Decrease. Decrease. Like you, you've got to decrease first. You've got to decrease first. A lot of us, here's what we'll tell God. If you'll give me more, then I'll give you more. Because we want increase to come before decrease. I, I'm, I was thinking this week about when I was leaving a, a, a job on staff at a church with a salary. Salaries are good, amen? We like salaries. Y'all don't have salaries? Look at me and you. So weird. I don't know how y'all live. Salaries are good. I was leaving a church. I had a salary. And I was stepping out in faith into a ministry where I would be speaking and getting love offerings. Look, if you're not in the church world, salary versus love offering. It's called love offering because they love you. Not because there's offering. Right? Like that's a huge step of faith. And I, I sat down and had lunch with this man that I felt like the Lord had put on my heart. And here's how, here's how our, our lunch went. We eating. And I just looked at him and I said, look, I feel like God's called me to step out. Um, from where we are, and we're going we're gonna to go do this speaking ministry thing, and I just would like to um, ask you to give me $10,000. I felt like it took all I had to ask that question, right? I'm out, some of y'all are panicking just thinking, you did what? But I like, I'm asking him. He was, my, he was the first of three people I was going to go talk to and see if I could raise $30,000 so I could step out in, fa in faith, right? And this man, bless his heart, he had the, he had the courage to look across the table to me, and here's what he said, and I quote, Paul, I love you. I believe in you. I think anything you do is going to be successful, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to step out in faith first. He's right. We Listen, we promise God more if he'll give us more, but there is no faith involved in giving more when you've received more. There's generosity involved in that, but there's no faith involved. And faith is what, is what it takes to please God. Hebrews 11:6. It is impossible to please God without faith. 
anyone who wants to come who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So what, what do we learn from this? What do we learn from decrease, right? We learn, and I'm, these words, you're going to read them, and you're going to be like, oh, that doesn't sound right, but it is because we've just read it. We learned that to have more, give more. If you want to have more, give more. Now, listen, I mentioned, you know, whittling these pennies down to dimes. God's not a vending machine. We don't put a little bit in and get a lot more out. God doesn't give us more because he's obligated. He does it because he's faithful, He's the one that wrote the word. He's the one that said what we just read. Like, if you plant a little bit, you'll get a little bit back. But if you plant a lot, you'll get a bigger crop. It's not magic. It's just his faithfulness. So if you want to receive more, then give more. Plant more seed in the ground for a bigger crop when it comes back. Second word is obviously increase because of what we just talked about. So we give and God gives back. We decrease what we have by giving it, and then he increases what we have. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. When God says, look, a farmer plants a few seeds or, or plant a lot and get a lot, he says, do all that, decrease yourself, but here's what happens in return, verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So you're going to break down sharing in community group this week. Like how do you do on the scale of sharing, right? How willing are we to share the blessings that God's given to us? But he promises if we decrease, if we see, if we plant seeds, if we give first, he will give back to us. Because they gave all they had, God gave them everything they would need. And here's why. God is moved when we give. It's a really interesting verse in Acts chapter 10. Um, it's Acts 10, 31. And it's at the end of this story about a man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was um, not serving the Lord. He was a God-fearing person. And so he, he's like calling out to the Lord. And in, result, in answer to his prayer, God has Peter go up on a roof in a whole other city and have a vision of being fed. And then when the vision's over, there's a knock at Peter's door, and it's these dudes that came from Cornelius' house, and they're like, hey, God told Cornelius for me to come get you, and they brought Peter back to Cornelius. He tells them the gospel. Cornelius gets saved. His entire household gets saved. And this is what Cornelius says. He's telling the story. He says, an angel had showed up to him, and here's what the angel said in verse 31. Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Listen, God is moved when we give. What do we learn from this? That empty places become divine spaces. And he fills empty spaces. He fills empty places. He gives us resources and grace. He fills them with answered prayer. But most importantly, I love John 3.30. You've, you've probably memorized it like this. He must increase and I must decrease. The NLT says he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. So of all the things that he could fill empty places with, he fills them with himself the most. And I love that. Man, I want to have more Jesus in my life. And he says, if you'll decrease who you are, I will increase who I am in your life. And if you're like me, super like into the church thing and reading the Bible, and that sounds like such a great thing to have more of Jesus, we never stop and ask the, the honest question, which is why? Why do we have more of Jesus? I mean, what's the point? What's the point praying more, reading more of the Bible, decreasing who I am? Why am I fasting so I can have more of Jesus? What is the point of that? And that's the third word. 
The third word is release. The point of all of this is that we can release. Listen, there's a cycle of giving that is the normal expectation of a follower of Jesus. We should talk about this stuff more. I don't have time today to go into a whole teaching on giving and why we should give. I will tell you this, there's a rhythm to it, and in July, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk specifically about how this is one of the rhythms in the life of a believer. But what I want you to learn today is this, the short version, open hands complete the cycle. Here's what that means. We decrease ourselves, and that starts the cycle, right? And then he increases to us. But to complete the cycle, we got to release what he's given us back into his kingdom. We can close our hands and stop the cycle, or we can open our hands and complete the cycle. Release is how we open our hands to complete the cycle. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11 says this, For, the, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. He will increase and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Look, he increases our resources, and then he makes us generous and want to give it back. The open hand completes the cycle. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always win. Always. Not when you just have enough money or not when you're not getting ready to pay bills or Oh, well, maybe if I get a tax refund. No, always. You'll always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So if you go back to Luke 21, here's what we're learning. We're learning that God gives more, which means that we have more to give. So you go back to Luke 21, and I'm going to give you the freedom. Just don't go crazy with it, okay? You're going to get to play Jesus for just a few moments, all right? Please don't let this go to your head, okay? It, we're just playing Jesus. You're not actually Jesus. Uh, if you're here with your family, turn to your family and say, you're not actually Jesus. Okay, so, but you're, you're going to play Jesus. You're Jesus, okay? And here you're standing here and you're watching what we read in Luke 21, okay? You're watching rich people who are, you know, they're, they're dropping their offerings in slowly. They're writing the check like this. Whew. And they're ripping it off big. And they're holding it. Some people write checks and fold them, right? They're not folding their check. They're holding it so you can read it sideways and go, wow, that's a lot of zeros. And then they're dropping it in. And then you got little, little, little widow lady. She's coming up with like, she's cut the penny in a quarter. And she's got her quarter of a penny. And she drops that in. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't think it's a hard question. You're Jesus. Who are you more motivated to help at this point? The widow. That's what happens when we decrease and he increases and then we release back to him. Man, God, listen, God is not more likely to help God tippers. Well, if God comes through for me, I might give him a dollar or two. He's not motivated by that. He's not. He's motivated when we've given him everything we have to give. Write this down. God is not looking for people to give to. He's looking for people to give through. That's what generosity is all about. It's not about me getting more. It's about me being able to release more. So three words, decrease me, increase him, and release heaven. 
Now let's talk about what this looks like practically. And that's going to bring us to our very last shift, okay? And you're going to hate this word, but we're going to shift from greed to generosity. Um, I know that not anybody in this room feels like they're greedy, right? Nobody here, like, if I was asking, raise your hand if you're greedy. Nobody, right? We all feel like we're generous, and I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say that you probably are. But I'm also going to be realistic and say, huh, on the scale of greed to generosity, is it fair to say that we all got some work to do? Yeah, it is. Like all of us, none of us are as generous as we want to be, right? None of us. Come back in July, we'll talk about that. 7% of Christians tithe. So all of us got some work to do, right? All of us got some work to do. So let's just talk through this really quick. Uh, resources come to me. If I'm greedy, then I believe that resources come to me. But if I'm generous, then I believe that resources flow through me, right? That's the point. Giving. When you're greedy, giving is an obligation. When you're generous, giving is an opportunity. Listen to these scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. Paul's writing about the Macedonian church, and the Macedonian church had zero money. They were like the widows. They were in, in poverty. He says, in their poverty, they gave and gave and gave. And here's what he says about them. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it, I love this, of their own free will. Not an obligation. They wanted to do it. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. These are not people who are like, oh, man, we got to give more. Are you kidding me? They begged again and again, please give us the privilege of taking part in helping the believers in Jerusalem. When you're greedy, you need to be seen. Remember reading about the religious leaders and they're wearing the flowing robes and they love to be seen. And, oh, can you see the golf claps going on? Oh, great offering. Such a good offering. Yes. But when you're generous, you see the need. This is a big shift. This is a big shift. We just read about it right here in 2 Corinthians 8, 4. The Macedonian church saw the need and begged for the opportunity to give towards it. Closed hand versus open hand. Closed hand. Can I just say this? We won't, we won't go any further. God is not, he's not raising hoarders. He's raising vessels. We want to keep, but God wants to give. Our size is not the full measure of our impact. Let me give you, I told you I want to share a number with you. Can I share the number now? The number is 10. So let's talk about 10%, okay? I feel, I have felt this from the beginning. My prayer from the beginning of the gathering is that God would allow us to reach 10% of our city. Let's do some quick math, okay? There's 16,003 people that live in, in Albemarle. So that means to get 10% of that, that would be how much? 1,600 in somebody's arm. Is that how that would work, right? So 16,003. So 1,600, right? So 1,600 people. Man, I, I believe that God can use, will use our church to reach 1,600 people in our city. And look, can I tell you this? If we were to reach 1,600 people, if we suddenly, the gathering had 1,600 people coming to our church, we would be considered a successful church, not just in Albemarle, but anywhere. And we could all be like, Way to go. woo -hoo. 
And what we'd be tempted to do is to close our hand on that and say, oh, well, there you go. We're successful. We're the biggest church around. Isn't that great? That's what greedy people do is they close their hand around the blessing so they won't lose it. But what does an open hand look like? Can you just dream with me for a little bit? Here's what an open hand looks like. As great as it would be to reach 10% of our city, and it will be awesome. Can you imagine if we opened our hand as a church and allowed the resources of God not to come to us but to flow through us? Can you see a church that is raising up people to send out? The New Testament church, they were worshiping, and the Spirit of God said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for me. I've got a great work for them to do. What if the New Testament church had closed their hands and said, not Paul and Barnabas. They're our best people. Are you kidding me? We, we'll never make it without them. But instead they opened their hands and said they sent them out. Could you picture a day when we could reach 10% of this city and then release people to go reach 10% of 100 other cities? Now just do the math. What if the average small town in America was 10,000 people? That's 100 other cities with 100,000 other people. And we would never have even grown bigger than what we are at 10%. Size is not the measure of impact. Never the impact. Never the size of the impact. When we're greedy, we're driven by fear. And when we're generous, we're driven by faith. And what I want you to know is both of those people ask what-if questions. When you're greedy, you say things like, what if we run out of money? What if we run out? And when you're generous, you say, what if God shows out, right? And then the last, the last line is actually not a typo. It looks like a typo, doesn't it? When you're greedy, greedy people will never give enough because they're not going to release it, and so they're never going to meet the need. God's never going to be able to build a kingdom through greedy people because they'll never give enough. But here's what I know about generous people. They'll never give enough. They'll always see the need and go, I, I know I gave, but can I give again? Which one are you? We've got to bring this to a close. Um, here's your big idea for today. And, and I hope that I've taught this in a way that you'll read the big idea and not think, that doesn't seem, that's not right because it is true. God gives increase to those who increase what they give. He gives increase to those who increase what they give. And that means this morning for us practically, we've talked for the last couple of weeks about an increase offering, and I've asked you to bring that this morning. And here's what this increase offering is all about. It's, it's our way of saying to the Lord, we want to be like this widow. We don't want to just give what we can give. We want to give even more than we can give. I've told you for the last couple of weeks it's not about the amount. I am. I couldn't have orchestrated this passage to come at the time that it came. I love the fact that as we're getting ready to give an increase offering, the example we have is a woman who gave a quarter of one cent. Like, people remember, it's not the amount. It's not the amount. It's the obedience. And so an increase offering is just us saying to the Lord, here's what I have to give, and I'm going to give it over and above what I normally give. Because the increase offering, ironically, is actually more of a decrease, isn't it? We're decreasing what we now have, and we're creating space for him to increase to us what he promised that he would do. So here's how I want us to end this morning. I want you to take out your offering. If you've got your increase offering, um, here's what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to 
We're going to stand in just a minute, and I'm going to let you. I'm going to get you to hold that to the Lord. Now, I am. Um, I'm tech savvy, so I don't write checks here anymore. I just text my gift in. Um, so, if you are here this morning and you are that person, then we'll just hold our phones up, right? We'll just text it in. Um, here's what this is going to go towards. This is going to go towards our what's next fund, and saying this is just to put us in a position where we can say yes to the Lord. Always, right? And this is an increased offering. So if you've got an offering envelope and you're putting it in there, you just want to check that thing that says what's next, and then whatever you put next to it, okay, is what you're going to give. We'll drop it in here when we're done praying. If you've come this morning and you're not prepared for this, like this is your first time here and you didn't read my mind and know this was happening, it's totally okay, right? You don't have to give a thing. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture that I've already read here today. I'm going to read it over us it's a promise from the Lord. And they're gonna, you can go ahead and start playing this, David. They're going to play a song by Elevation called Give Me Faith. And here's what I've been asking the Lord for all week long, that he would fill us with faith to trust his word, to believe that what I'm getting ready to read over you is actually true and that God will actually do it. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't have any increased offering. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you, to get in on this promise, right? And here's all you got to do. Man, just pull out a quarter. Pull out a dollar. There's obedience. The obedience of giving unlocks all kinds of amazing benefits. Let me just give you one quick testimony. I had somebody at the end of the first service, they walked up and they told me this story. And I was like, can you please stay and tell it for the second? And they're like, I can't because they're serving right now. So they gave me permission to share this story with you. Somebody came up and she, she told me this. She's like, you know what, Pastor? I was in a service like this at another place one time, and they were taking up an offering. And I was like, oh, man, I forgot my checkbook. I, have, I don't know what to do. And she said, I feel like the Lord said, just look in your purse and pull out what you got. And so she looked in there, and she had $3. So she pulled out the $3, and she was like, uh, all I got is $3. And she said, God told me, no, look again. You've got more than that. And so she looked in there, and she found a dime and a nickel. And she was like, well, God, this is all I got, $3.15. He said, nope, there's a penny in there. Look in there and find it. So, I, you know, I don't have a purse, but she's scrimmaged all around the bottom. And she founds, finds a penny. She pulls it out. And she said, so, Paul, I literally, I gave everything I had that day in my purse. It was $3.16, and I felt so silly doing it. But I did. I gave it. And she said, then I got home. I got a phone call from the church, and they said, hey, we wanted to call and let you know that a friend of yours who you've been praying for gave their heart to Jesus today, and the first thing she thought was John 3.16. That came true today for that person, and God had me give $3.16. So again, the amount is not as significant as simply the obedience. We're not about trying to bribe you or manipulate you. I want for you the blessing I'm getting ready to receive. So come on, let's stand up together. I'm going to pray this... Um, over you. I'm going to let you hit the button in a minute. Would you just um, lift your offering to the Lord? If, you got, if you're doing it by phone, just lift your phone. That's fine as well. Um, and listen to the promise again of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. 
And when we take our gifts, your gifts to, the, to those who need them, I love this part. When we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. That verse is full of so much certainty. And I'm praying over you this morning that you would have that same faith that what we just read, he would do for you. Father, in your name, Jesus, we, um, we want to be like the Macedonians. We want to be eager. We want to beg to be included in what you're doing in the kingdom. And so, God, we, from the bottom of our hearts, man, this increased offering, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be a part of partnering with you and your heart to reach Albemarle and so many cities beyond this one. So, God, we ask that you would do what we just read about, that as we give this offering, which is an increase for sure, but it's really just we're just decreasing, God. We're going to have less of us when we're done, and we trust that you will increase our resources so that we can then release even more heaven on earth. And we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.